Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Sweet, the Ladies' Guide to Bro Culture. My name is Gina Bloom, and this is the show where I, a transgender stand-up comic currently quarantined in scenic Van Nuys, California, bring on some of my favorite funny ladies to talk about their first-time experiences with the highest and lowest points that bro culture has to offer. We're talking about bro movies, bro things, um, bro music, all of the bro stuff, and on today's episode in particular, we are talking about 1993's cult classic sci-fi film, Demolition Man. Demolition Man, uh, starring Sylvester Stallone, Wesley Snipes, a very young, pre-fame Sandra Bullock, and then the quality of the cast goes down sharply, including <laughs> Bob Schneider and Dennis Leary thereafter. But um, but a top three, pretty good. Pretty good, especially for 90s uh, Stallone movies. Uh, it uh, has a 59% Rotten Tomato score. Uh, that, those scores are a little are a little uh, unreliable for films that sort of predate the website, but 59% sounds about right. It seems like a movie that uh, got a little more love than the typical Stallone picture, but uh, was pretty much forgotten about, I think, until like events of the past few months when all of a sudden it became very prophetic. Uh, Vincent Canby at the time uh, said, Demolition Man is a significant artifact of our time, or at least of this week. Now, he said that in 1993. I think that is a very prescient position to have about Demolition Man in 2020. Uh, Peter Travers of, the Ro of Rolling Stones said, Demolition Man is sleek and empty, as well as brutal and pointless. Uh, obviously, Peter Travers was not part of the 59% of the critics that liked it. So before we get into the... Um, Discussion and description of the film. I do want to bring on my guest, representing the the noobs, representing the initiate to Demolition Man. She is uh, one of my favorite funny ladies from New York, and I was supposed to hang with her uh, two weeks ago at the West Side Showdown in Santa Monica, California, but it got canceled. Please say hello to Caitlin Reese. Hey, y'all. Thanks for having me, Gina. Thank you. Uh, and across the city from uh from caitlin they were supposed to hang out with me uh last month at uh at bird city comedy festival in phoenix arizona but that was canceled please say hello to new york city comedy it couple hattie hayes and matt stores hi hi gina hi hi, hi hello. good to see you we're here hi, in queens missing you. i miss you guys i miss all of you guys i miss all of new york i was supposed to obviously see you guys at various festivals and then I'm supposed to be spending most of the month of May in New York, uh, wrapping up the season of this show, plus debuting my live show at Fringe that also got canceled. Um, so many things got canceled this year, but you know what? I'm still alive, so I guess I can't complain. And yes, let's talk about Demolition Man. Uh, before I get into the discussion of the film, uh, Caitlin Reese, this is your first time. Give us your off-top uh, impressions of Stallone's action comedy sci-fi Taco Bell Fest. I think my biggest confusion about this film is I was like, did the writer know? Because it said it was based on a screenplay, and I looked it up, and I guess it was actually a, a 1968 book called Flight of the Dead. 
And I think it was in another language originally. And so I thought that I thought it was kind of fascinating because I couldn't tell if it was tongue in cheek racist and confused about feminism throughout the movie or if it didn't know that it was being racist and confusing about. I was just like, I, many times I was like, I feel like they're making maybe like a really interesting poignant take on something. And then I was like, wait, is this about like, like there's several times I'm like, this actually could be very meaningful what's happening right now, but I don't know what the intent is. And then like the characters made the storyline very confusing. Yeah. No, <laughs> so I came away like, I was like, wow, this movie, just like a few adjustments could have been making some really interesting points about like anti-capitalism, feminism, and racism. Right. I was like, I don't know if they meant to do any of that. And they were so sloppy with it, but I was like, I don't even know what's <laughs> happening. <laughs> I, I hey I hear you. Um, just to jump back into the to the critical consensus real quick. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, Richard Schickel, the, the reviewer for Time Magazine at the time, said uh, it also undercuts by casting virtually all the psychopathically murderous criminals as minority group members. So yes, even yeah. in '93, people were like, "Hey, wait a minute, <laughs> something weird is going on with these villains." Um, yeah, I yeah. Absolutely. There is, it feels like a, it feels like a near miss slash, um, slash, you know what, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna laugh anyway kind of film. I do know that, that Hattie and Matt uh, are very enthusiastic about this film and I, and I don't want to dampen their enthusiasm. So please y'all give me your impressions on your most recent rewatch of Demolition Man. Maybe you can, I can be enthusiastic about this while also recognizing that it's not necessarily good uh, yeah, and maybe yeah. anyway. Um, but I do like a lot of bad things. So um, I think the first time that I watched it, Matt Matt introduced it to me. It was before we yeah. moved to New York, and I think it was through Taco Bell. My parents got engaged at Taco Bell. Oh, I love that. Um, That's so, yeah, so. So there's already an emotional component already connected into the <laughs> yeah. film. Yeah, it's a big part of my uh, my upbringing, um, and just like a. I don't want to say my cultural history, but God, I guess it is. Effectively, yeah. So, so I mean, I'm a. I think that what had happened was years ago, Matt had quoted something, and you know, from the movie in reference to, with regards to Taco Bell, and I was like, I don't, I don't, I'll get the reference. He's like, Wait, have you not seen Demolition Man? Because everything in your personality indicates you have, and watch it regularly. And I have not. Um, but yeah, rewatching it last night, um, as we did, um, mm -hmm. all of the parts that I loved hit the same. I was like, oh man, yeah, I love it. It is also a story about, you know, um, unjust prison reform and yeah. um, about the way that uh, we as a society treat criminals. But then also like anytime anything vaguely feminist happened, I was like, oh, that's, that's nice. And then I was like, oh wait, that's because it's a nanny state dystopia. Oh, yes. okay, cool. This is, this, okay, yep, <laughs> right. all right, I get it. Um, yes. So it is. It, it does feel very much like a movie without a ton of intention, is how I would describe it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. My my mentality is, and I've seen it so many times that I've I've watched it with, you know, the the pop ups of like trivia facts of right, you know, right. writing going into it and all that stuff. So I know about like how heavily edited. It was, and yeah. like all the different storylines that they tried to put in, but they were like, no, 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 this doesn't make any sense. Um, this is just, you know, this is making it even more, you know, confusing. And so just, and being able to watch it and appreciate like, oh, they, this was supposed to have a payoff. It doesn't. Um, <laughs> this, this is just there. He has a daughter. Nope. 
Not anymore. No, She's we're gone. Not, we're not going to worry about that daughter too much. It, I, I came across this movie again. I, I'd seen it years ago. Um, I do find it interesting that, uh, that Matt, you believe that everything about Hattie indicated that she had seen Demolition Man. But I, if I'm not mistaken, Hattie, I think you may be younger than Demolition Man. Like, oh, I am. I'm a year younger than this movie. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm, so I'm not sure. Like, I'm not sure how that value judgment was like. Hattie seems like the type that would watch a movie older than she is starring Sylvester Stallone. Well, uh, because that is my primary, well, that's my primary, that's my baseline well, state, is watching okay. a Sylvester Stallone movie older than me. It, well, it's mostly, actually, if I'm going to be completely honest, the fact that it was Sandra Bullock. Oh, that makes and sense. And the yeah. fact that okay. Sandra Bullock is so, so profoundly connected to Hattie, like, just from as a creative <laughs> force. <laughs> This is either the nicest or the meanest thing any person's ever said about me. Um, but yeah, that's, I, I am a Sandy completionist. That's true. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the film itself. So uh, Demolition Man tells the story of John Spartan, played by Sylvester Stallone. He is, he's a cop on the edge in the way out crazy futuristic year of 1996. Um, and he busts uh, super criminal Simon Phoenix, played by... Uh, Wesley Snipes with a blonde haired job in 96 and <laughs> like football pads uh, even then and like <laughs> like a whole kid and play outfit. It was very entertaining wardrobe uh, provided to Mr. Snipes. Uh, and in the process of busting him, uh, Simon Phoenix detonates a bomb and uh, it comes out that a bunch of hostages were killed in the explosion, although you find out later that Stallone was not really at fault. But the two of them are sentenced to uh, decades in cryo prison where they will be frozen and then rehabilitated via some sort of mental implantation uh, over the decades. And what happens is, is that about halfway through their sentences, uh, Wesley Snipes is freed under suspicious circumstances, uh, suspicious circumstances. And uh, begins immediately terrorizing this uh, feminized, neutered uh, future where no one can swear without getting fined money. No one can, no one, violence is eradicated and this is somehow a bad thing. Uh, you can no longer eat meat or smoke cigarettes or have sex while touching people. Fluid discharge is um, disallowed, is illegal. And um, they're unprepared. The future is unprepared for Wesley Snipes and his crime. So they, they thought the one man that could take him, it takes a psycho to catch a psycho, as they say. And out <laughs> comes John Spartan uh, into the far out world of 2036, all of 15 years from now, um, where everything is different. <laughs> and uh, he immediately is partnered with a young Sandra Bullock, who is a 90s enthusiast. Uh, has been following uh, when studying John Spartan in the history books as well as 90s culture. Uh, keeps a poster of Lethal Weapon 3 on her wall uh, of her cop office. And they go about uh, tracking uh, Simon Phoenix through through futuristic San Angeles, uh, a, a combination of Santa Barbara, Los Angeles, and San Diego. And uh, Simon Phoenix, meanwhile, he finds out the, the truth of his freeing, which was to kill a uh, an underground insurrectionist uh, played by Dennis Leary, of all people. Very strange casting in this film. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, and um, yeah, the, you, know, it, you know, pretty much takes on predictable action beats at that point. There are double crosses. 
there is a very strange sex scene. There is there is a lot of stuff going on. Eventually, um, a vaguely filmed action climax in the cryo facility uh, leads to John Spartan defeating Simon Phoenix. By the way, the the names of the characters in this film are so delightfully on the nose. Like there's, it's so great. It's so it's so good how bad they are. John Spartan Simon Simon Phoenix. He rose from the dead. So of course his name is Simon Phoenix. Sandy's okay. character's last name is Huxley. Last name is Love Huxley, that. right? Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. That 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 was that was Alfredo, a bit more clever. Alfredo Garcia, super racist. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like basically like Tony Spaghetti. Like <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, uh, yeah. All right, and that's the plot. Um, Let's dive into it, uh, Caitlin. Uh, let's 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 just talk about Sandra Bullock's character. Let's talk about that since this is a feminist leading podcast. Um, you'd said uh, in your previous statements that it, it seemed like a movie <laughs> would make like a feminist point, but then it would be like a criticism somehow. Like, explain what you mean by that. Um, like she was such a like an I felt like a, like also a very neutered um, character though, and that like. Yeah. She like say things but like so politely and accepting of them like when she like it's amazing that they have a character in a, in a movie made in 1993 saying that like oh he's just like um displaying like insecure ma- like toxic masculinity right now or like right. um yeah, know, was, uh, that, that seemed to be a little a little futuristic for me like i, I didn't know the, the phrasing toxic masculinity had gone back that far like i Maybe she didn't say, I think she said an insecure man expressing masculinity. I think I added toxic. Yeah, um, she may, that, I, I heard it as toxic masculinity. You may be right about that. May, we, we, may, we both may have like added that extra toxic in there though. I don't know. <laughs> I, I have to consult the screenplay for it to be sure. Yeah, and like I don't know, I feel like there's there's moments in the film where she'll she'll challenge authority or challenge a man in a scene, but then at the same time she like wants those same characters like approval and mm-hmm. like acceptance. Um, I don't know, like not to say that she can't be like a multi-dimensional character, but it was just like I felt like there was an opportunity for it to just go to like an even cooler place with that character. Um, I was also really confused because. Because like she makes a point, she just totally accepts saying that abortion is a, is illegal and that you have to get a license <laughs> yeah. to get pregnant. I was like, come on, like you're everything else that she says as a character. Like this would be a, a point for her to be like, yes, unfortunately. But she's like, no, yeah. this is <laughs> this is just what we do now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, on the one hand, yes, she is born into that society, so perhaps she wouldn't have the perspective of interrogating it in the same way that people who are born into totalitarian societies may not be able to really criticize them. But on the other hand, it does feel like something that, that that a male screenwriter would write like, Oh, I just solved, I just solved abortion. We'll just make pregnancy outlawed. (laughs) Sounds like a very simple man solution to things. Ah, fuck it. We got that one figured out. Moving on. Yeah. Uh, Hattie. um, Yeah. Oh, go ahead. You're going to say something. Go for it. No, No. I was going to, I don't want to get off topic. So get off topic. Get off. I, I can always edit. I can always cut it down if, if it doesn't work. No, we'll, we'll come back to it when we talk about prisons. Okay. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> Another topic. All right. Hattie, as a, <laughs> as a Sandy Bullock completionist, um, where does this uh, performance, this character fit in for you in, in the, in the greater uh, Sandra Bullock constellation? Well, I mean, obviously we have, in this movie, Sandra Bullock as a law enforcement officer grappling with the 
patriarchal system and how it's affecting the men that she's working with. Yeah. And then in miscongeniality, we have Sandra Bullock as a law enforcement <laughs> officer in a very, very hyper feminized situation. Yeah. That's also a result of the patriarchy. And it's so funny that one of those takes place in the future. Only one. And um, it's and it's funny how it's it's funny how Sandra Bullock in Miscongeniality is the John Spartan of that movie. Yeah. Okay. I think it's so interesting that in this film, you know, she's a piece, she's a cog in the machine right. within the law enforcement, but like I mean, she's knowledgeable. You know, she knows everything there is to know about John Spartan and she is able to kind of help him navigate and sometimes, you know, bend the rules a little, you know, towards mm-hmm. the end of the film. Um, and I think it's, it, it's so interesting how very different her character comes across. And I mean, it could just be, you know, it being earlier in her career, just a very different character, but it's, it's so interesting to me that this character is so, you know, it's like Caitlin said, she seems so agreeable. So am- amiable to the notion of living in this futuristic society where everything right. is kind of, um, these rules are all set in place for her. And it's it's interesting because it's almost like she knows that because she's complicit, she's extra safe or she thinks that because because she's complicit in upholding rules, she's, you know, more protected by them maybe. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, maybe that's the impetus behind her going into law enforcement. I think, I think it's so funny too that she has the, she has the lethal weapon poster mm-hmm. on the wall um, when it's like, no, no, you... <laughs> It's it's funny that she idealizes that like very sanitized concept of violence. It's like that's that's a movie that could never get made in the future of Demolition Man, um, and it's probably so taboo for her to even have that. You know, I mean, where yes. would she even see that film aside from like as a, like a historical context? So it's it's really interesting how she. I feel like she's only in law enforcement and she's only able to you know kind of um, put John Spartan on a pedestal because she's so far away from like actual violence um yeah. which is so different and, and that's in such an interesting contrast to Miss Congeniality where she's very rough and tumble and very gruff and very um not amused by the trappings of femininity so yeah it's it's an interesting thing because she has a nostalgia for a time that she didn't live in and hey that sounds that, familiar yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that like I think they even uh, th- there's even a mention when they first go into her office that she's like breaking a law a rule yes that she has yes. all the, the all contraband. the contraband yeah. yeah and it's like what do you it like it's very it's it's a very like it, it's useful for the story and everything like that but like li- really like what is the story behind this woman deciding like this is the time period that I need to be connected like- to. All right. So, but speaking of Sandra Bullock's character, how do we feel about uh, electrocuting a woman into unconsciousness as both a joke and a plot device in the third act? And she thanks him. She says, <laughs> she thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and she thanks him. Right. Thank you for knocking me out, John Spartan, with this who knows what dangerous side effect shocking stick. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, also, he he was like the glow rod. The second he gets out of prison, he fucking donks some, like, bystander on the fucking head to be like, how does this thing work? Does it really work? And then he just takes someone out, like, while he's just yes. like, walking down the street. I was like, wow. He j- I mean, imagine if we actually arrested cops. <laughs> also, <laughs> imagine, like, the second you get out, you're just, like, in front of other people just taking other people out, which there was the whole plot point, was that he, like, killed all these bystanders. I don't know. That was very funny to me. But go on. Yes. I, I thought, yeah, that, that was... And, like, it... it, it <laughs> 
it didn't like it didn't shock me when he like when he knocked her out because I'd seen so many shocked movies. Um, it shocked her exactly when, but it didn't. It wasn't <laughs> like it wasn't like oh my god, how how how? Why would they do such a thing? Like it didn't shock me, only because I've you know I've seen a lot of movies and um, where you know they they slap a woman or they slap a gay man as a punchline. Like, you know, this doesn't feel like that distant of a time. Like we're not watching the Maltese Falcon here. Like we're not watching, you know, something from the hard boiled forties. We're watching things that were made in, in at the very least of the extent of our lifetimes. Can that happen? Does anyone have any idea of of that sort of thing happening? Like a recent film? I, I don't know that I've seen it in film. I will say I've seen it come up a few times in my friends like sketches and like comedy writing as a punchline mm-hmm. or just the yeah. Occam's razor to resolving a situation of violence against, violence against a woman. Yes. And like, yes. It's, yeah. it's interesting that that seems to be like, Oh, that's the most easy, quick and logical way to make this situation into <laughs> right. a joke or to make this plot, you know, to move this plot point forward is to hurt a woman. And I, I'm always like, why, why do you do this? And, and <laughs> honestly, that's, that's, I think that's interesting because I can't think of movies recently that I've seen where that comes up. Yeah. Maybe so, Matt can. Well, yeah. So my, my mentality with it um, is that um, there are two primary ways that, that women end up being uh, in, the, in the action movie dynamic involved in the final battle. Either they are taken out of it beforehand so they can't be involved or they're the damsel in distress. Right. And I, and I think that that dynamic still remains, you know, you have baby driver where, you know, she's, you know, Deborah is just there, um, to basically be uh, a catalyst to get you to the end of the movie, um, and the, the final conflict. Um, and, but, you know, here, you know, when I, I remember every time I watch it, I always think like, oh yeah, like Sandra Bullock is going to save him. You know, he's going to knock her out, but then she's going to show up and save him at the end. And when that doesn't happen, I am just so confused. Every time I'm like, no, 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 she's going to wake up and just save him. Because, like, there is no way he should be able to do this. Yeah, she literally pops up at the end and says, thanks, man. Cool. (laughs) Thanks for knocking me out. (laughs) Thanks for knocking me out. All right. I I do want to talk a little bit about... um, about uh, some more of the film's uh, futuristic uh, predictions and its political leanings, um, but first, before we do that, we're gonna we're gonna jog this discussion a little bit by playing the trailer uh, for the film, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll go from there. So, just one second, we're gonna watch the theatrical trailer for Demolition Man coming up. At the end of a century, ravaged by violence, a society of perfect order will arise. Criminals will be frozen and reprogrammed in cryogenic prisons. The prisoners are ice cubes. Their criminal instincts are being reprogrammed as they sleep. Aggression and deviant behavior will be totally eliminated. He's a criminal the likes of which you have never seen. In a bad time, he was the worst. I'm going to love running this place. 
But in the year 2032... This morning, Simon Phoenix escaped from this cryo-facility. We are, quite frankly, not equipped to deal with the situation. Amidst a world of peace and calm... We're police officers. We're not trained for this kind of violence. How was the fiendish Simon Phoenix apprehended back in the 20th? In the end, it took just one man. John Spartan. You mean the demolition man? The conditions of your parole are full reinstatement into the SAPD and immediate assignment to the apprehension of Simon Phoenix. Two mortal enemies. Just dropped in to say hi! From another time. Pass is over, John! Time for something new and improved! Oh, hell. Will be unleashed on a future that isn't big enough for the both of them. Sylvester Stallone, Wesley Snipes, Demolition Man. Oh yeah! All right. Uh, All right. Fonts of any film. Such good fonts. Those those are those were fonts that you're like, God, this is definitely the future. This is these are future (laughs) fonts. This is the future of font work right here going on. Uh, uh, you know, a, a quibble, a factual quibble with the uh, with the trailer. Simon Phoenix was sentenced to seventy something years. He's up for parole. That's why he was able to escape. It wasn't a mm-hmm. sentence of eternity, although I do get that. Um, that does make a stronger stinger in the trailer. But trailer uh, cut people, the trailer editors, not watching their own film. I guess that I guess that still happens. Uh, all right. So Caitlin, um, if you had seen that. Uh, obviously it would be really weird because that movie feels like it's made in the nineties, but like, does that trailer seem an accurate depiction of, of the film? Does that, does that give you, um, does that give no. you, <laughs> no, all right, please explain. <laughs> it felt pretty accurate to me, but go for it. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it just, <laughs> I mean, I don't think most trailers are very good at ever telling me what I'm really signing up for. So I don't sure, even know that yeah. I pick apart this one. Cause I don't think I've ever watched a trailer. I've been like, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> this was I've never like had like seen a trailer and watched a movie and thought that like everything added up. Um but uh no, I I think that it's like very vague actually. And I think like, yeah. the more interesting yeah. about the movie are like not included. That's true. And I and I do want to talk about that because if if there's stuff that people talk about this movie, uh it's two things. Uh one is, you know, the fact that this society uh has like no contact. And this is stuff that's come out in like because of current situation that we're in right now and this is why i was able to rediscover it because we're in like this no contact society and we're in like this um seems like the slippery slope toward demolition man restaurants are failing um and famously in demolition man the only restaurant that survived uh the (laughs) restaurant wars was taco bell all restaurants are taco bell in that future as it should be. As it should be. Uh, where, where the Hayes family was, was born at yes. Taco Bell. Taco Bell is the only reason I'm alive. <laughs> All right. I yeah. mean, a lot, for a lot of ways, but mostly I, that one. Please, please, please tell me the story of, of how that happened. I have to know. It's actually very cute. My, my parents um, had been dating, had been together for a long time, had been in love since the, they met, since the day they met. And... Um, uh, it, you know, they'd been talking about getting engaged and um, my mom and dad went and picked out an engagement ring for my mom. It's not a super expensive or fancy ring, but it was still, you know, all the money they had. So they buy the ring, um, they're on their way home and my dad's planning, you know, this fancy proposal for her and 
um, on the way home, we're like, okay, we have enough money for one last trip to Taco Bell before we have to save up everything we just dropped on this ring. Let's go. And they were walking across the parking lot. My dad was like, you know what? I've been waiting four years to do this. I'm not going to wait another second. And he proposed to her at the Taco Bell. Um, so it's very, it's a very good, mm, good romantic Taco Bell proposal story. Uh, he did it before it was cool. It's cool now, but my dad but started. Yeah. He started the trend. I, that, 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 that is a heartwarming story. I have, that is a genuinely unironically heartwarming story. And the fact that it's Taco Bell just really takes it over the top. The little touches, like the three seashells and the, ta- and the Taco Bell bit are, are like funny, but there is like, there's a sort of like weird institutional, um, like quasi fascism going on in this film that it seems to support. Like it seems to be okay with, like it seems to be okay with, you know, certain things. What it really criticizes is like political correctness. Like yeah. it, it really, it really has a weed up its ass about, you know, whether or not you're allowed to smoke or like, or like eat beef or something right. like yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, like the whole movie overall, I'm like, are we, is the point that they are, is is there a pro-liberal agenda to this film or are they making fun of the liberal agenda? I was like, <laughs> I felt like it could have gone either way in a few different scenarios. Yeah. I, I remember when I was in college um, uh, back at the Columbia college in Chicago very liberal art school. And uh, I had the one conservative guy uh, in the entire uh, class basically decided he wanted to be my friend. Now, granted, this is, you know, pre-transition. So um, I guess I looked apart, you know, I was sort of a Midwestern, like square looking dude person. So I was the least freaky, at least at that time. And so he sort of adopted me as his unofficial buddy. And he, he fucking loved this movie. He would just, he would he would proselytize about <laughs> Demolition Man all day long. He's like, oh, dude, have you seen Demolition Man? It's the fucking best, man. Like he, they stick it to the libs. Like they, he was he was really he really believed that it was like liberal, anti-liberal, like action film. And then I watched it at some point after that, like a few years later, and like I could kind of see what he was getting at. Like it does feel. It does feel like it's has a kind of a libertarian bent to it. Um, Absolutely, and I, I think we get a lot of that uh, since we're all in comedy. We we hear a lot of these same complaints, like of the Ehrenbergs of the world. Um, oh yeah. Well, I was going to say, um, it. There were a couple times throughout the movie, watching it last night, where I would just point at the screen and go, "This is the future liberals want." Because you see that meme, and it's so funny because every yeah. once in a while you see that meme posted on Facebook or Reddit. With the caption, you know, this is the future liberals want. And it's, you right. know, um, talking to a drag queen on the subway. And it's like, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that is the future I want. Like, and there are a couple that, yeah, it, it's just so funny. There was um, this biggest surprise for me in this whole movie. And I, I said out loud, wow. Um, I clearly talked to, through this whole yeah, movie. Yeah, we did. We did. Um, <laughs> but there's, um, there's the point where they're having the mind meld sex in the VR helmets. Um, yeah. and, uh, Sylvester Stallone is like, what the hell is this? And, uh, he goes, you know, to try and have actual physical sex with Sandra Bullock. And she said no. And he leaves and he leaves. And I'm like, he left like, cause it, I feel like even like 
normal, non-futuristic rom-coms of the 80s and 90s, a woman is always at some point coerced into having sex. Like it always inevitably, <laughs> she says no, just so she can say she said no. You know, it's a baby yeah. is cold outside situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in no, this I, one, I agree. he yeah. left. He left her room. And I'm like, did you, is that... I get that they're saying like this is you know this is yes this is the future liberals one I would love to say no to a man and then he would leave immediately that would be so nice he and would, then he, um, her and he recognized that he did something wrong even by asking yeah, and then it yeah. was sweater the next day <laughs> yeah he, he goes and he knits her a sweater I would man if I if a man knitted me a sweater every time I rejected him I would never buy clothes again. Um, but instead they just bug me and harass me and I hate that. I would, I would much rather have the sweaters. Yeah, get, like, gentlemen, give, give every, give the ladies sweaters instead of bugging them for sex. Absolutely. No, I, I agree that there, that there is, that there is like a, there is like a, an extra dimension there. It's not just, it's not just a libertarian assholeism. It's not just like a rah, rah, let's smoke and fuck type thing. Like there is, they do at some level recognize that it's good to treat women with respect and maybe you should take out your testosterone on some knitting needles instead of <laughs> instead of the internet or instead of women in general perhaps men should just learn how to knit uh it's it it certainly helped uh john spartan get through his sexual frustration my, my only issue with the knitting thing is the next scene when they're discussing the knitting and Sandra Bullock explains it like yeah. oh it looked we looked at like your family history and your genetic background and it seems like uh, knitting would be the best thing for you and he's like I'm a seamstress oh, yeah and it's like there's like some gen like eugenics dynamic there oh that yeah I'm like that that I like hadn't ever picked up on before and I'm like yeah. whoa 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 is it Wait, what? You looked at his. You look at his genes and his family history, and you're like, "Well, you're you, sir. This is like a caste yeah. system, like yeah. eugenically enforced caste system." I'm like, "Oh, I don't know if I like that I don't very like much." That at that's, all. that's but, very the giver, right? But then, they, but then immediately, like, paper over that. But I say, but like, yeah. oh, but wait, Simon Phoenix learns how to be a fucking ninja for some reason, right. and that's just the detail that cracks the case. It isn't like, wow, this is a weird fascist society. Like, th there is like, there is like this weird sort of pro fascist stuff that pops up in this movie all the time. Um, all right. Uh, we're going to play another clip. We're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go out of order because we were just talking about this and I think it bears some more discussion. We're going to, we're going to look at that scene. Um, that weird sex scene, that weird aborted <laughs> sex scene, because I really like Sandra Bullock's performance in this. She, um, I mean, she's definitely sort of playing like, 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 like the ditzy nineties girl. Uh, she's doing it to perfection, by the way, she's doing a very good job with it. Um, you know, the, the audience is, is, is inclined to laugh at her and not with her, but um, nonetheless, she acquits herself really well uh, in this. And it, this is the year before she got famous uh, for real in, in speed. And you can kind of see some of the same qualities that some sort of same like girl next door qualities come out uh, in this performance. I just think it's charming, and um, that's why I want to watch it, and it's my show. So there you go. Here we go. Not so much a causal effect, mm -hmm. but a general state of, of neurological arousal. And after having observed your behavior this evening and my resultant condition, um, I was wondering if you would like to have sex.
with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here. <laughs> Now. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Great. I'll be right back. Girl, standing in front of a boy, yeah. explaining my neurological condition. I'll just relax. We'll begin in a few seconds. Begin what? Having sex, of course. Like I didn't even touch you yet. But I, I thought you wanted to make love. Is that what you call this? First sex has been proven to produce higher orders of alpha waves during digitized transference of sexual energies. All right, obviously, what do you say we just do it the old-fashioned way? Oh, disgusting. You mean... fluid transfer? I mean... Bony, the, the wild mambo, the, the hunk of chunk. There's no hunk <laughs> The exchange of bodily That's fluids, do you know what that leads to? Yeah, I do. Kids smoking, a desire to raid the fridge. The rampant exchange of bodily fluids was one of the major reasons for the downfall of society. Oh, you know, After AIDS, can't argue with there that. was NRS. After NRS, there was UBT. And one of the first things that Dr. Cocteau was able to do was to outlaw and behaviorally engineer all fluid transfer out of societally acceptable behavior. Not even, not even mouth transfer is condoned. Kissing's not allowed. Oh. Damn, I was a good kisser. Oh. oh. All right, th what about kids? Procreation? Yeah. We go to a lab. Fluids are purified, screened, and, and transferred mm -hmm. by authorized medical personnel only. It is the only legal way. What are you doing? Breaking the law. You are a savage creature, John Spartan. And I wish you to leave my domicile now. Ah, there he goes. Just frustrated and didn't even argue. All she had to do was double point. So good on you, John Spartan. Yep. All right. We didn't play the best part of that clip, which is the, the when they're at when he starts like letting himself get aroused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's already camera, gone on nearly five minutes, but go ahead. The camera work on that is amazing. It's like they're literally they keep just like zooming in on his face and this like insane work, and then zooming back out and then zooming back in. He's just like, oh. And that's why they call it the hunka chunka. The hunka chunka. All right. I, I literally had to pause the movie to laugh. Uh, that was amazing. <laughs> when I see stuff like this, I always, I always think about like the parts of society that they're not investigating. Like, like, because this is a very much like, like a straight male perspective. Like, like what is, what is the, what is the queer perspective in this society? Is there, have they, have, have they DNA'd out queerness in this society? It seems like they've, they've somehow like been able to medically like alter human beings. And there seems to be, everyone seems to be a little bit gay, but, but absolutely not. Um, yeah. And the only like, Oh, uh, like it's funny because there was like that assistant throughout the film wearing the kimono, and like yeah. they never make any jokes or say that they're gay. But I think right. like most people watching it would be like, "Well, that seems like in a like a, a traditionally gay man." Yeah, yeah, um, he's, he's coded that way, absolutely. But like, right. he's also like, neutered. They yeah, they don't like they don't uh, make any references to it or like any jokes or framing around him being gay. Um, But yeah, but uh, so isn't, yeah, there's absolutely like, I felt like no take on queerness throughout the whole film. And I, you know, to be fair, I wouldn't expect it to be in a Sylvester Stallone film from 1993, <laughs> but, 
but like you know these are this is this is sci-fi you're supposed to imagine like what this the, world the, is like the thing that i noticed because i noticed the queer thing as it related to there being an absence of any like markers around queerness or like the presence or absence of queerness but as it relates to religion and christianity mm-hmm. because for a yeah. movie that is so um rules-based and so based on safety and morals um you don't have like the you know the the driving force of like the christian right in this which is really interesting to me Mm -hmm. um i mean so you don't really have that force you know we have it established that procreation is now something that's done through medical science which um is you know historically in opposition to christianity um a lot of people would say but clearly it's something that would ostensibly like lead to you know more widespread approval of queerness especially if it's like okay we've literally ended all sex acts that anyone could find degenerate like there's no sex acts there's anymore no sex it's all, all virtual yeah. so who's to like we there's no way for us to know what the society's um you know concept of that is i just thought it was really interesting that there's no like clear for as much as there's a lot of like warring um you know kind of like hyper fascist aspects of this there's no like one moral overlay that we would see i mean because yeah. if this movie were made now it would I can't imagine it not having like a Christian bent to, to the leadership. Oh yeah. I mean, and I first saw this movie in my, while I was attending my Christian middle school in Arizona and it was like a parent put it on like a highly devout Lutheran family. This on, it was like, this is, you know, I think they got the edited version, uh, but mostly it was edited just for language. And they're right. like, isn't this just like an ideal society? And I'm like, even at that time, I'm like, something's wrong here. Something's weird here. Yeah. So uh, it's interesting you bring that up because I think that that's very much like, like it's sanitized, but like they still pick it up as like, this is kind of an idealized Christian society in a lot of ways. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it, you know, the thing is that if sex is just people putting on helmets together, then what's to stop everybody from just being gay as fuck? Like if there's, right. if there's no, this is unnatural because it's just brains uh, and everyone's, everyone has brains. Yeah. So, just give me the dopamine. That's what I yeah, want. Yeah. So, so why not just be gay as shit? Why not have like, and this is, this is obviously much more than the movies intending to ask. Like this is, this is, this is extra textual stuff. Like this is, this is speculative. But yeah, I, I think that on the one hand, like the movie is is very like heteronormative, but like it also posits a future where you could just be gay if you wanted to be. Uh, yeah, there's also like um, this is not about queerness, but I think that it's, uh, there's kind of these little nice moments of seeing men look vulnerable, like when they introduce the compute chat, like the self affirmation yeah. machine. It's like a man doing it, which I liked. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that, like, uh, like most of the cops were men that were like confused and having to like look at tutorials and be afraid and not know how to do things. Like they were very yeah. um, much like vulnerable. A lot of male vulnerable side characters that, while they weren't memorable, they definitely like I felt like equalized. Yeah, um, the way that like people needed things in this society. Yeah, and like, the, and the movie was kind of halfway laughing at them a little bit for being kind of feminine, but like, it was also, but it, all, it was also not entirely mocking. It was like, it, this was also kind of a good thing for for men to be, you know, interested and engaged and vulnerable. Um, 
All right, we're getting close to the end here. I, I would be remiss if we didn't discuss this, even though we are uh, four white people in thick eyewear. I do want to discuss the weird racial politics of this film for at least a couple of minutes. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, it was mentioned earlier, Richard Schickel from Time uh, observed that all the bad guys are people of color. That's that's not mm-hmm. cool, <laughs> just about. Um, I mean, obviously not the, the, the ultimate bad guy. Not not uh, Doctor Cocteau and his assistant, but you know Simon Phoenix and his gang of miscreants there uh, in the third act, uh, all people of color. Uh, he thaws them all out uh, from the cryo facility to like take over uh, San Angeles, and it, yeah, it, I don't know, I don't know what that's saying about this film, insofar as every movie in it's, that it's time period. Another- it's yet another situation in this film where I'm like, okay, on the one hand, yeah. all of the bad guys in the third in the third act are people of color. But on the other hand, they're only bad guys because they were imprisoned in a cryo-freezer yes. by the white leadership. And I'm True. like, literally the only white person they threw in prison was Sylvester Stallone. Um, yeah. And I'm like, all right, okay. Like yeah. that, that was like, okay, I don't think you were trying to make that statement, but you ended up making that. <laughs> ended up I, I will doing say, it. I, yeah, I don't think the people who made this movie, I don't think anyone involved making this movie expected it to be dissected this way in 2020 at all. Absolutely no. not. I, I, I no think, intention. I think in 2020, they expected us to have cryo prisons and like have sex through helmets. I think that, right. I think that they were predicting the future, at least what they thought. Um, all right. Uh, we, we are running out of time. I do want to play this this one final clip because I would uh, not be a good podcast host talking about Demolition Man if I did not play the three seashells scene. Yes. So. Oh, this is Matt's been waiting for his big moment. Yeah. I have a whole set. All right. It's Matt's time to shine coming up. We're going to watch the three seashells scene coming up right now. Any new inframa on Simon Phoenix? There is nothing, Lenina Huxley. Where's your John Spark? Oh, he went to the bathroom. I, I guess he got all thought out. Oh. Sir, I formally convey my presence. Oh. How you doing? We are not used to physical contact greetings. <laughs> sure. Me neither, bro. So, uh, I don't know if you guys know it, but you're, uh, you're out of toilet paper. Hey, did, did you say toilet paper? Oh. They used handfuls of wadded paper back in the 20s. <laughs> I'm happy that you're happy, but the place where you're supposed to have the toilet paper, you got this little shelf with three seashells on it. <laughs> he doesn't know how to use the three seashells. <laughs> this, is, this is why they can't see how they Schneider. Confusing. I won't believe it. Exactly. Is that you, Spartan? No. Zach? Zach Lamb? <laughs> what happened to you? <laughs> I got older. My God. I remember when you were a snot-nosed rookie pilot. They finally grounded me. Shit. You're a damn good fly. You are fined two credits for a violation of the morality statute. I'll be right back. They seem to be friends. Yet he speaks to him in the most profane manner. Well, if you had read my study, you would know that this is how insecure heterosexual males used to bond. I knew that. 
Thanks a lot, you shit violations of the verbal morality statute. So much for the seashells. See you in a few minutes. Oh, and he wipes his ass on their tickets. <laughs> Not only that, but the implication of that scene is, is that he just got back from the bathroom and he had no means to clean himself. <laughs> he had, also, I, also, he got I, unfrozen and then went and took a dump. Yeah. As, as well, not okay. Couple couple of addenda to that. He got unfrozen, went to go take a dump, and they expected it because he said, "Oh, he he must be completely thawed out." So apparently, taking a huge dump is part of the unfreezing process. Yeah. <laughs> and secondly, when he marches out of the bathroom the first time, he is thoroughly pissed. You know he has not had a chance to to wipe himself because he's very angry about it in those tight fitting police pants, no less. Yeah, as we all would be. Yeah, and so I've uh, done some research, Absolutely. Uh, and yeah, and so Sylvester Sloan has made statements about how he understands how the seashells were supposed to work, and effectively. One seashell was supposed to be, the two sets of the seashells were supposed to be pliers that were to reach up into the human cavity and pull out the waste. And then the uh, third one was supposed to wipe it. But that makes no sense. That it's makes, literally yeah. just a bidet. <laughs> yeah. It's all it is. I, I love that. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Because when Matt told me this, he's like, hey, Sylvester Stallone said in interviews how he thinks the seashells were used. I love to, I love to think that he came up with that himself. No yeah. one on set. No one on set cared. They just like were like, haha, seashells, cute gag. Mm -hmm. And Sylvester Stallone was like, no, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna figure this out. He's like, no, two of them go up your ass and the third one cleans. That, yeah, clearly. <laughs> that's how it works, obviously. It's the only through line joke that like that they do that they button the whole movie on the on the joke about the seashell. So he probably <laughs> has been thinking about it for a long time. <laughs> oh. Well, and also here, okay, so I think that there is some credence to the idea because he's <laughs> saved by pincers at the end of the movie. And because like the pincers yeah. that are going around. And if, if it, if those, if that's what the seashells actually is, that makes sense because he's like, Oh yeah, I can use these pincers to get away and get around this room. Now that I know <laughs> how to use the poop tongs. I can, I can use the, the, the freezing people tongs. To avoid disaster. Oh. I wonder if this is one of those plot lines that got cut for time. I right. This could have been maybe 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 Sloan's daughter explains the seashells to him. Then he's like <laughs> he's like, I bet I could use that in some scenario where I have where I have industrial pinchers. <laughs> what if the whole what if the whole thing was just Stallone improvising like <laughs> like he just wanted to have a joke about seashells? <laughs> All, all of that is very plausible. All right, we are out of time. Caitlin Reese, uh, please give me your final thoughts. Does Demolition Man teach you anything that you haven't learned about the world of men or just the world in general? Uh, your final thoughts on this film. I weirdly liked it. I mean, even though I was frustrated by it and it's like a lot of it is awful, especially with the ham-fisted racism that's not, yeah, that's awful. That's just sort of like, not even the film's not even bright enough to recognize, but yeah. No, but I thought there was like interesting takes on the, some aspects of feminism, some aspects of men showing vulnerability. I liked actually the parallels they made kind of defending the scraps, which were just basically mm -hmm. almost people. Um, 
And uh, I thought there, I thought there was like not, I don't know. I feel like there was kind of defending lower class folks in yeah. some way. And um, yeah, I uh, overall I liked it. It was it was very funny and uh, and it was very heady. I didn't expect. I assumed I was just going to watch a stupid action movie that would not be terribly mentally challenging, but it right. was. I think I think the movie's very genial, and I think geniality goes a long way to like including people who aren't part of the normal audience. Like, uh, I, you know, I obviously if like if I had made you watch like Rambo four or whatever, as opposed to Demolition Man, I I, I don't think we'd be having such a you know such a lighthearted conversation about it for one thing, uh, because you know those movies are 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 toxically masculine, and they're not very fun to watch. Like they they're just unless you're just into that sort of thing, they're not they they don't they don't draw the audience in like. Demolition Man has like this kind of warm tone to it that that if you're not into action movies, you can at least appreciate it's like it's like puppy dog qualities. Like it wants to entertain you so bad. Like it mm-hmm. keeps coming at you with, with like visual gags and like goofy performances and things like that. Uh Addie and Matt, same uh question for you. You guys uh are are uh you know Longtime supporter slash apologists of this film, but you just rewatched it yesterday. Uh, in the in the in the wake of the quarantine or whatever, has Demolition Man taught you anything new this time around? It's given me a new alternative to handshakes. Uh, oh I'm yeah, really yeah. About the you know the, the wave, right? Yeah, yeah the wave the and the wipe, <laughs> the wax uh, on. Yeah, yeah, the wax on. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's it's funny because every time I've seen this movie the things that stand out to me as being like now are not the things that you would have expected. Obviously right. in, in this viewing, it's all of the non-contact stuff, which didn't really honestly didn't register near as much the first couple of times. Yeah. Um, I will also say um, there's one of Sandra Bullock's characters. Main things is she misused idioms, idioms from the 20th, such as, yeah. you know, take this job and shove it. She says, take this job and shovel it. But at yeah. one point, um, at one point she says she's going to lick someone's ass instead of kick, kick their ass. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, Hey, in 2020, licking ass is pretty much the the soup du jour. Yeah, um, licking ass is so, way more way more appropriate than kicking it. These yeah, days. And it's it's all sandy. It's all hard. <laughs> it's all sandy. It's right. Who would have thunk? The the future liberals want uh, thanks to Sandy. Taco Bell and eating ass. <laughs> all right, uh, Caitlin Reese, please let the audience know where they can find you on the internet. And uh, we're all locked in these days, but anywhere else they might be able to come across you. Sure. Um, so my handle on Twitter and Instagram are at the Caitlin Reese and, um, I'm very active on both platforms. So please follow. Love it. And, uh, Hattie and Matt, same thing. Let's let everyone know where they can find you guys collectively and apart. Uh, yeah, you can find me at empty stores on Instagram and on Twitter. And I am occasionally on them. I am very, very active um, as Queen Happy Jean on Twitter and Instagram. And then you can find the two of us together on Facebook and YouTube. We have a show called Our Topic Tonight. Um, that's a live streaming show on Thursday evenings. Uh, it's highly topical variety stuff. We play games. We um, show user submissions and uh, do all sorts of very topical, topical humor. Um, so, yeah, it's a... And then uh, we also have Infinite Sketch, which is putting out, and Quarantine Mustache, which are both putting out... Uh, 
Lots of sketch videos. Tons of sketch yeah. videos for your viewing pleasure on Instagram and, and, uh, and on YouTube. Explain to them what, what Infinite Sketch is real quick. Um, so Infinite Sketch is a live sketch show, um, usually. Uh, and it is based around the writing style, um, or it pays homage to the writing style of David Foster Wallace. Mm -hmm. um, me, Hattie Hayes, uh, again, an apologist in this instance. Um, I've read a lot of David Foster Wallace. Um, most people in the cast haven't, so they're actually funny. Um, but uh, it's it's a lot of very pretentious comedy that loops back in on itself and occasionally totally narratively collapses, which is really what I value right. most. Um, All right. Uh, um, this, comedy for smart people. Yeah. That's yes. a good way to this, this will be of no value to the listening audience, but for my friends on the Zoom right now, I want to show you a magic trick. Here I am picking up my microphone, okay. and here I am picking up the thing that's holding my microphone up. Oh, I wow. did it. Infinite Jess. Oh, I'm so glad. That's honestly the chess. best use for it. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what uh, it's there for. Longtime listeners will recognize I read Infinite Jest as the season one two-part finale. Um, yeah, so Hattie and I have both read Infinite Jest. This is maybe we're maybe the only two women on the planet that <laughs> that have done this before. Somebody had to. Somebody so, had to. It might as well be us. We did it because so nobody else would have to. Uh, and as for me, uh, my name is Gina Bloom. You can find me on all social media at Gina Bloom, J-E-E-N-A-B-L-O-O-M. Uh, every Thursday throughout the month of uh, May and into the end, of, into the middle of June, I will be dropping new episodes of Sweet Ladies Guide to Bro Culture Season 2, uh, ending in the middle of June. And uh, you can also find me every Saturday night on uh, all social media, hosting, producing, and performing weird stuff on Make It Rain Comedy, uh, which we're doing every Saturday night throughout the rest of quarantine. Comics tell jokes, they dance, and you throw money at them through Venmo. Uh, what more do you need out of life? Uh, Caitlin, uh, Hattie, Matt, you guys, thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. I have thank you. you. This is so great. Thank we you so love much. you. We miss you. We, I miss all of you guys. I'm so glad that we got to do this. Even if it's over Zoom, we're, we're still here. Um, still queer, still talking. And uh, you know what? Uh, in the great words of, of, uh, of Sandra Bullock, let's go blow this guy. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> Yay. <laughs>